0: We would be honored if you would join. All right, everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of Dungeon Crawlers. That's right, we're back. We haven't died, we haven't blown up, and we're still around. And Lucas Films hasn't hunted us down and dropped us into a well. I
1: like that.
2: Idea. Yet, though I am Yet. contractually obligated not to bring up the Kobayashi Maru, so I am not bringing it up. No. It's okay. It's a no-win situation. It's well, true.
0: Or the Kelvin incident. You should ignore the Kelvin incident, much (laughs) like Starfleet did. Anyways, uh, with that said, uh, yes, hopefully you tuned in last week and heard our review of uh, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. We still will be bringing you the review of the final episodes of The Mandalorian. However, just so you know, we have uh, it has been identified by Disney and that the second season of The Mandalorian will be coming in October. Yes, you now have a date. You don't have to wonder and worry.
1: I so, just saw that announcement, I think, this morning, and I am super thrilled that they're moving on the second season so fast.
0: Yeah, I, I am as well. However, I am now conflicted because on February 27th, uh, we, I will have the new Clone Wars TV series, and Netflix is releasing Altered Carbon Season 2. So I have to balance those two out. Um, and they don't really go well together, so oh well.
2: Yeah, well, some of us have to buy into the paywall of CBS just to watch Picard and Twilight Zone, and that makes us sad. Yeah, I,
0: you know, I just I just pick it up off of iTunes. Just saying. Anyways, so let's talk about what we're talking about tonight, and that is gaming, RPGs in particular. Uh, many of you out there have maybe tried them. Maybe you haven't tried them because there's this weird stigma against rpgs particularly dungeons and dragons or maybe you've just seen the games and wondered what they really are and well there's kind of this weird stigma uh, with gaming and gamers in particular so we'll kind of talk about those things
1: and go from there so where should we start alton do you want to lead us out on this one i feel like of of the three of us though we are all deeply steeped and experienced i feel like
2: you are literally the professional in the team on this subject <laughs> well not that i don't hear that often enough but at any rate uh yes so uh any of you who have been fans of the show for a long time have heard my voice in a few other instances uh, one of which was announcing a game store that i helped start Uh, with whom I am no longer associated. We'll talk about that later on. Um, And uh, in another instance, uh, I've designed an RPG, which is in development and getting ready to come back to market soon. And we'll talk about that sometime in the future. Um, But uh, I come from gamer stock, grew up in and around game stores. Uh, Some of my fondest memories as a child were staying up late, watching my father and his friends play uh, war games and Dungeons and Dragons and Starcraft and Warcraft and all kinds of different things. Um, and then married into a good gamer family, and it's been pretty great ever since. Uh, I know you guys don't get to see the video, but I have a huge wall of games uh, behind me every night when we jump on to record, and uh, I'm regularly working through them, which is also great. He but i also,
1: it, it, it's some combination of um, a gorgeous library/slash shrine. It's a beautiful collection. You would be jealous.
2: Though, admittedly, I must also say I am not uh, in the A grade of collectors. There are people who have way more than me. Um, But one of the things that gaming has definitely informed uh, in my life is how we interact with each other. And that's kind of the first angle that I really want to bring up is like, What is a gamer? Because everybody has this image in their head of like what a gamer is. And I'm sure that all of you listening out there and abroad have that image in your head of what you think a gamer is. For some people, it's the guy sitting in their Razorback chair, glowing LEDs. The whir of fans as their over-souped PC, takes them through the next round of Dota. Uh, For other people... It's the guys sitting in their basement munching on Doritos and Mountain Dew as crumbs fall across the table and the clatter of dice brings them into the next level of the adventure. Um, But even larger than that, if you enjoy games, in my mind, you are a gamer. And so as we talk about the stigmas, we have to talk about why those extreme ends stick out in our mind. And so like, this is a great opportunity for me to ask Krebs and Dan, like, when you think of a gamer, what are the images that you think of?
1: That's an excellent question. Um, if I can just jump in here real fast. So there was a time in my life when I worked retail and, uh, I worked at a place that no longer exists. It was called sun coast. It was a store that sold mostly movies and movie paraphernalia
0: sun coast.
1: I still have a very warm place in my heart for Suncoast. coast. Love so many animes from there. Oh my gosh. It was stellar. Um, uh, and, and as as a film buff, as like a as like a I don't know, a Cinna nerd, um, I loved working there. But one of the one of the things that I saw a lot of, and this was, you know, toward it was the very end of the 90s, the start of the aughts, um, we would get mostly, admittedly, heavy anime fans who would come into the store and they would wear those anime themed bowling shirts that were all too large. They would wear those in conjunction with Gene Code jeans and uh they are Jenko, i don't I don't even know how you say it but I, I apologize and so they would come in and um i what i'm about to describe i think is still held as a stereotype today which is that you get within a certain distance of them and there's a certain flavor they give off you know um which is utterly it's it's absolutely true and and uh and now uh, in my 40s I teach at an at what I lovingly refer to as an all nerd college, it's an all computer science college. And so that entire subculture shows up every day to class. And what I've discovered is that there are myriad and distinct types of these individuals, and yet 98% of them, and, and, and that's just a rough estimate, but I, not an exaggeration, are involved in the gaming realm in some way. And so my original stereotypical view of what a gamer was is is completely expanded upon by the the various students that I teach on a regular basis and that I've come to genuinely love in my heart. It's not just one kind of person. And so even I, who who claim to be a gamer myself, I am a gamer myself Um, and I do not wear anime themed oversized bowling shirts. Right. Uh, And I have a fair sense of hygiene. So I've been told. And so, like, I, I, I consider myself a gamer, and yet I still would lump a certain group of gamers into, like, this one stereotype, and it kind of
2: put me off, which is weird. Because... So if... Go ahead. Uh, so I was just going to say, so if you had to boil it down to one word that that overwhelming back-of-the-head image is for you, what is the one word? Great question. Um greasy greasy now dan we're going to turn it over to you what's the word for you and then tell us why <laughs> <laughs> i got
1: daniel a little bit there
0: i i just can't go beyond greasy because i mean and that's it um yeah i mean growing up i was always told you can't play dungeons and dragons it, it, it's the devil's game um you know, it's because there, you know, there was a, a while, there were some weird, crazy reports coming out, like, of New Jersey or New York or something like that, where people were killing other things or whatever. And uh, my mother definitely took it in a wrong way. So it wasn't until high school that I got somewhat into gaming. Um, and I hate to say this, but back then, there was a reason gamers had a bad rep. Uh, I mean... It, if it's not greasy, it's unshowered. Um, you know, there is so many times back in the day that I'd walk into a comic book store that had a gaming section or even a gaming store, um, and there would ju- you would just be hit by this odor before you even passed the first bookshelf. And you know, there there's a couple times I've been at conventions, at Comic Con, stuff like that, even Gen Con where you hit that that odor comes back and it's just like it's like a flashback back then i uh, definitely gamers have <laughs> definitely evolved um back then it was something you hid not something that you you know put out on parade that hey i'm a gamer this is me i mean there's no way that back then we'd have vin diesel saying hey i play and i bring my buddies out on set to play or uh, half the people that claim that they are gamers now—that um, was something you never spoke of. You, did, you met at your friend's house. You went into the basement. You played, and then you left. And then it was like Fight Club. You never spoke of it again until you went back. Um, so yeah, and and I appreciate the fact that it's become more mainstream and the culture has changed, but there's definitely that that vibe that image that you always get and unfortunately it's kind of something that's hard to get away from because and, they, yeah, if, they make fun and, of it in movies and tv shows and stuff
1: if i can just interject for a second yeah, too ahead. i'd like to make something clear i want to make sure that people understand i'm not knocking gamers like no. universally and i don't think daniel no. is either um, we're talking about sort of like the, the impression the mold that is in our head
2: exactly. you know
1: um but for the record I, I think it's fair to speak for all three of us when I say we genuinely love the gaming community and we support the gaming community. We're simply speaking about sort of like the societal norms associated with being a quote-unquote gamer.
2: Exactly. And th- and that's exactly where like it's important that we explore those things, right? Because um, as I started to work more and more in the gaming industry and started to work with people from all walks of life who would come in to a game store to buy games for their kids or grandkids and always lead the conversation with, so I'm not really a gamer. Can you help me? Right. (laughs) And as time has gone on, I've started to realize something very important, which is that we have vocabulary to communicate the things about which we have passion. And oftentimes we can utilize those, that internal imagery to put boxes around things as they exist. And so the follow-up question that I've started to ask people whenever they say, oh, I'm not a gamer is, well, have you ever played a game? And they're always like, well, you know, I played Monopoly or Candyland or Risk or whatever. And I'm like, well, do you like it? I'm like, well, yeah, I-, I love playing with my kids or with my friends or back in high school, I played D&D once and it was a great time or, you know, I play computer games or whatever. And that definition slowly begins to unfold in which we can have the follow-up conversation of if you like games, you are a gamer. And, and that leads into the word that for me was always there, which is unsocialized, right? This concept of people who can't relate to anybody else, who can't connect to anybody else, who couldn't hold a conversation in public. And so we retreat into our private spaces to be able to play with people who we understand and practice being the people we wish we were. And that in many cases is exactly what RPGs allow people to do. But as it's begun to move more into the cultural norm and understanding that we're no longer concerned about accidentally summoning a demon by rolling our D20 and have focused more on what that means mechanically and mathematically and socially, we start to see that creating these places for people to just play enables them to become better people. And we're beginning to be able to shake that off. So the next kind of, Logical follow-up to that is now that we know that image that's in our head, which by the way, I call the sweaty guy in a corner under a flickering light bulb feeling (laughs) does not (laughs) define the vast majority of people who play games and therefore by association are gamers in whatever form that takes, whether that's the casual or all the way to that extreme. Like I do this for a living every night of the week. I'm out with my friends we have to change that perception. So now when you think about gamers with the experiences that you have and the things that you enjoy, what are your favorite parts about gamers? What are those stories that stand out to you?
0: Me? You want me? All right. So I'll jump first.
2: Um, you know,
0: the really cool thing about gaming as a whole is it is an opportunity to get together with people and enjoy, um, you know, anxiety depression those things tend to create isolation you want you end up isolating yourself but through playing games you actually are connecting you're connecting with other people playing a game it's all about working as a team collectively to achieve a goal you know even the dungeon master that's running the game still wants you to succeed he's not going to make it easy but he still wants you to win the game because if it's just him winning all the time it's not fun you know, it's about creating a collective story that everyone is enjoying and participating in. And it may not go the exact way the Dungeon Master wants it to go, but it's still going in a direction that's fun for everyone. And out of those game sessions come some really amazing things. You know, There's moments of despair where everyone is just shocked and they're, they're bewildered because someone else's character died because they are so invested in the characters and the story that when someone's character dies they're literally mourning the death of that character. Um, There are times when there are such overwhelming odds and they are able to barely squeak by by the skin of their teeth that they celebrate. And it is something worth celebrating. And that's the thing that I really have enjoyed about gaming is those experiences. Because, you know, whether it is the worst all-time fail or the most amazing success, you still remember those stories. And they last longer than the game sessions ever do. Now, you know, uh, there is one game that I ran that one of the players had a drow character. He had a cursed sword. He'd been playing with it for over two years, never dying. But if you ever rolled a one on this sword, it would suck your soul away. And you were instant death uh, if you failed the save. You know, so he had this sword and he would use it off and on. And he lived for two years wielding the sword off and on. And then we get to a point, and there's this there's three ice trolls in this cave, and he looks at the other party because they're above level 20, and he's like, I got this, just relax. He walks in, everyone sits down in the ice, like, all right, let him do it. First swing rolls a one. (laughs) I'm like, all right, roll a save. He rolls, he rolls the save, fails the save, instant death. He's gone, you know, and it's. We, we always talk about that. It's hilarious because he survived for two years. I mean, this was an almost four-year campaign, and he had this sword and lived and everything, and then he gets cocky and dies. Um, we had another time where uh, I had a paladin in my group, and he played like the perfect paladin, very strict, very lawf- uh, lawful good. And I put him into an emotional crisis because there, here was this guy being crucified, and he was, he's an older man. He's crying. He's begging for help. And he's saying that he was unjustly strung up um, on this, this crucifix type thing. And all he is pleading for is for them to save him. And the rest of the team's like, the guy's are like, no, we shouldn't do this. Leave him alone. Let's leave him. And being the lawful good paladin that he is like, no, I can't do this. We have to take him down. I cannot leave here without rescuing this man. And he was ready to come to blows with the rest of the group. And he convinced them. And so they, they undo the chains, and the old man drops to the floor, and he's like, finally, I can destroy them. And turns into a lich and disappears. That player's like, I'm done. I can't play anymore. And I put him in an emotional crisis for an entire week until we <laughs> came back. Like, yeah. he could not sleep. That was how much invested in his character he was, and how much I just put him in this quandary. But those are things that's really amazing about this. And I mean, beyond the storytelling, beyond the camaraderie you start feeling as you bond as this unit, I mean, it's, in my opinion, it's like going into real battle. You know, you hear the stories of men in the military that go into battle and they're in a war zone and they bond a bond or they forge a bond that is like so unbreakable that. Yeah, nothing else can replicate it. I really feel like that is the type of bond that is formed when you're playing, when you're in a successful role playing group
2: or gaming group. I wholeheartedly agree. In many cases, you know, this is a great opportunity for people to reach real states of catharsis where they're able to deal with a lot of these internal struggles and conflicts and things that are consuming them on the day-to-day, where they go to a job that doesn't care for them, where they get yelled at on the phone for eight hours, and they come home to an apartment that's too small, and ramen that doesn't have enough nutrition, and a light bulb that's just a little too dim. And so they go out to a place where they can be with people and process that in a real and meaningful way. And it's one of the other things before I pass back to Krebs is, um, you know, you bring up this concept of like this person played this character for two years. Right. And we hear stories about this all the time. And to a a casual gamer or to somebody who has never played a role-playing game, the concept of playing a game perpetually for years is absurd. Right. Nobody sits there and says, man, I love monopoly enough to come back and play it every night for two years. Right. (laughs) And so as we talk about gaming in that context, particularly role-playing gaming, you cannot really separate the people from the mechanics because the mechanics themselves, they'll dry up, right? Like yeah. there's only so many numbers on a 20-sided die, 20 to be precise in case anybody was wondering. But nevertheless, it's the stories that we create, the the bonds that we create, and the way that we're able to explore our own humanity – And as we live through that lens, we're able to examine those pieces of ourselves and put them into place with what's going on in our lives. Now, not everybody is necessarily going that deep when they play. So don't feel like you're missing out if you still have a good time and aren't experiencing that. But for some people, this really is that deep, meaningful thing that allows us to be that part of ourselves and move towards solving the problems in our lives.
1: Absolutely. Um, And to your original question, what is your favorite part or or what do you get out of this? Uh, If I remember correctly, your question was, what is your favorite aspect of specifically role-playing games? Would that be correct? Was that your question?
2: Yeah. So it it doesn't even necessarily need to be role-playing games, but it's just that thing. What drives you back to gaming and what are the things that now you can consciously recognize that all of those preconceived notions are wrong what are the things that brought you there that you now value and cherish, right?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think that if we're talking about gaming as a whole, I am going to focus a bit on tabletop RPGs and I'll explain why in a moment, but gaming as a whole, um, I think my favorite aspect of, of gaming is um that it, it is an exploration of self. If I can politely disagree with you for a second, uh Alton, I, I think that even when when people even when people casually game. Gaming requires you to invest some portion of yourself into the activity. Um, and and because games, games fundamentally, any game you talk about, any game uh, that is worth its salt in terms of its name, right? Just any game that's worthwhile is a clearly defined system that has both jeopardy and reward. There's always a way to win. There's always a way to lose. And... Uh, why why does anyone even play a game? When you sit down and you play mancala, why do you care about getting just the right number of beads in just the right places? When you sit down and you play pente, why do you care about defeating the other person with, with glass beads or stones? Right? Why do you care? What's the MacGuffin? And uh, the truth is every game you play is an exploration of self. When you play something like mancala or pente or chess, you are learning about yourself as a strategist you're learning about what you're willing to sacrifice, you're, wor- you're learning about what you are willing to do to win, and if winning doesn't matter as much to you as the relationship with the person across from you. This is all an exploration of self, and I don't think people think about that very often. Um, when it comes to tabletop role-playing games, I think tabletop role-playing games are the most explorative medium in all of human experience outside of actually putting yourself outside your comfort zone and doing something physical and the thing is most human beings don't do that i would love to climb a mountain someday but i'm too afraid to climb says one person or you know i've always wanted to go skydiving but i've always worried about the risk and so many of the things that we can do physically we tend to hold ourselves back using either very real or very artificial boundaries but then you get someone into a role-playing situation and you give them the bound, the, the confines or the definition of who their character is, which is typically an exaggeration of who they are as a person or it, it is rife with abilities that they don't have in the real world. And then you put them in a situation that maybe, maybe they've never experienced in the real world before or quite the opposite. You've put them in a situation that mirrors something traumatic that they've experienced before. And then you ask them to make a choice. And that choice is often balanced against their moral, their morality, or it's balanced against their sense of self preservation, or it's balanced against their sense of sacrifice, either a sacrifice of their own self or sacrifice requiring someone else to sacrifice on their behalf. And uh, it might make it sound a little hyper dramatic. But the truth is, normally, when I'm teaching someone what a role playing game is, if they've never played one before, if they're not sure how it works. uh, And I've had enormous success over the years i've been a, a gm i'm using the generic game master term as opposed to the dungeon master term because i tend to play non dd tabletop games but uh i've been a gm for going on 28 years now and um i've had enormous success when i've talked to someone and at first they poo-poo the idea because you know D and stigma which i'm sure we're all familiar with right um that at first, they poo-poo the idea, and then I'm like, no, 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 it's an amazing experience. You should at least try it one time. And they're like, well, what, is, what do you even do? What is it even like? And I just look them in the eyes, and I say, you're walking down uh, an alley on your way home because it's a shortcut, and you have to get home to help your sick grandmother uh, prepare dinner. And on your way, someone steps out of the shadows, knife in hand, and they demand that you, that you that you give them your groceries and your money. What do you do? And that's like all I say. And then they're like, well, um, I guess I'm going to attack them. I'm like, you're going to attack them. You're not going to talk. You're not going to ask them questions. You just want to attack. You want to do that. That's okay. I don't mind. And then they start thinking about other choices. And within about a 10 minute time period, they're hooked and they want more because now they're exploring themselves. And they didn't know what they were capable of at that moment. You know what I mean? So so for me, the best thing about any game, whether we're talking about The Last of Us, which is a video game, we're talking about Rifts or Dead Ring, which is my, my favorite tabletop RPGs, we're talking about Zombicide or Monopoly or Chess, all of it, every game asks you as a player to open up some aspect of your character and really expose it for better yeah. or worse.
2: One hundred percent, and and a lot of what you're saying rings extremely true to me. As I've spent time, not only designing my own role-playing systems, but helping other people test theirs and and expand their horizons. You know, I've I've been playing role-playing games for a little over a decade now, and I've been professionally GMing for about five years. Um, and it's been this this really cool experience to watch those parts of people open up. Um, And one of the big things that that I've said as I've been talking to people about how to design these types of scenarios is I say the relationship between the designer of a game and the player of a game is very, very unique. Because as you were saying, a player has inherently given us something the moment that they sit down to play the game. And that doesn't just mean like the money that they spent to play the game. That's not what we're actually talking about. We're talking about the investment of I'm going to learn the rules. I'm going to take the time. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to play it. Right. And that means that we have an obligation as designers to, you know, give back at least as much, if not more than what they have put in. But the second piece of that is that the moment that they sit down to start playing our stories and then our scenarios and they're, they're interacting with what we've done, we are in their heads. We are pulling levers. We are flipping switches. We are turning knobs. And everything that we do from the moment that the game starts to well beyond the game end, when the game ends, we are sending messages. And we're helping them to send messages to themselves and to the people around them as well. And so as we're conscious about the things that we're communicating, we can in a very, very real sense help people and help people feel better about themselves, their situation, where they're going, the opposite can also be true. People for years have talked about the boogeyman of violent video games and even the inception of d d where people, you know, they were using all of these reference materials from sci-fi and fantasy all the way across the board from, you know, the very mundane all the way to, yes, even into some of the occult things, not necessarily in the sense of every person was going out and, you know, summoning demons, but more using those those things as frameworks to understand the fears that were in themselves and to create situations that enticed their players to encounter something real and give more of their, of, of their time and attention into treating it seriously and dealing with the problems that were in front of them. But as all of those things began to be explored, there were also messages being sent, And every day we experience this as we pick up the media that we consume and and games are fundamentally a part of that. And so a good GM is taking the time to think about what opportunities they're presenting their players and how they're interacting with those people. And just as a therapist often takes the time to role play scenarios out to help people prep for those uh, situations that may be more difficult to deal with. Games in many cases allow us to remove the risk from the situation in a way that people still feel emotionally invested, but there is no physical danger. There is nothing at the table that will actually harm you, kill you in any way.
0: But I don't know about that. I've had many a dice thrown at me. Okay, that's fair.
2: That's fair. (laughs) Ditto. But nevertheless, the, the goal instead is to be able to take on those boogeymen that that we encounter internally, even in senses where we are afraid of ourselves or how we express ourselves or the things that hold us back. and And that's to me one of the most beautiful things um, because it enables us to to, to to be honest and then bring that honesty, forward into our lives and be prepared to say yes i am afraid of these things but i can overcome them yes i fear being alone and it hurts sometimes well, i mean to the, have to look but yeah. we can still overcome those things
0: the really cool thing about gaming i mean literally when you go to a movie or read a book you're invested in the story but you're just you're along for the right you can't do anything to change the outcome the amazing thing about gaming, whether it's even a board game or, particularly, more importantly, role-playing game, you can manipulate the outcome. It's a choose-your-own-story uh, movie, whatever you want to call it. You get to choose what happens. You know, every time the GM or DM, whichever you want to call it, sits there and asks a question. Oh, you know, like Krebs uh, described. You're walking down an alley. A guy jumps out with a knife. What are you gonna do? That point, you get to dictate what happens next. It's not, you know, the flash comes zipping down, beats up the bad guy, you move along. You get to choose what happens next, and based on that, there's another outcome that happens, and another and another. So, every action has a consequence, and that just keeps moving along in the story, and you keep getting to, you know, guide and direct that. You know, if we were to jump on in in the barrels along with Frodo. And not Frodo, Bilbo, and the rest of the dwarves, you know, we're going to the same location, but maybe we stayed behind and fought the goblins, or maybe we, there was a fork in the river that we decided to go down, and, you know, the dwarves and Bilbo went one way, and we went another way and ended up having to fight something else. That's the cool thing about the game. Not only that, I have seen so many miraculous things. There have been people that have been super shy that are now outgoing because of gaming. It gave them the courage to become someone else and be able to talk to other people. You know, they were just like Raj from Big Bang Theory. Couldn't talk to a girl in any way, shape, or form. But when they transformed into this character, they could talk to everyone at the table. And then slowly, they realized that. And then that gave them the courage to talk normally. Um, there, you know, my case, I was always shy about writing and getting. That out there, but more and more people kept saying, "Wow, you, you're really good at this." And then eventually, I wrote a novel.
1: Uh, and now there, you're nominated for an award. I am. Uh, <laughs> so there
0: are there are things that come out of this. You never know. Um, I'm sure if we were to sit down and ask, I, I know several authors that that's where they got their start. I know other actors that that's where they got their start because it's a lot of improv, you know, improv. Uh, Even as a DM, you have to be really good at being on your toes and improv at any moment, even though you've written maybe two weeks' worth of material, and you only end up using 10-15% of it, because your player's completely gone off script, (laughs) and you have to figure out how to somehow get them back on script without making them feel like you're dragging them through the mud, or just go with it.
2: Yeah. Find the new story and be able to tell that in a convincing and meaningful way, even though you don't know the words until the dice hit the table.
0: Exactly. But the great thing is, is no matter what happens, everyone's having fun.
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, kind of while we're on this vein, uh, I have a question for you two. Um, uh, Earlier, as I was thinking about this topic, I, I was trying to come up with like interesting threads that we could run down and... I have a two-part question for you both. I, on the one hand, I think we've kind of covered the first part. And the first part is, what have you gained as a gamer over your lifetime? And the next one is, what have you lost?
0: Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, you, you, I, I can go first. Yeah, uh, go for it. Obviously, what have I gained? I've gra- gained lots of friendships. I've gained opportunities i probably never would have had uh you know i i the beta testing for you know fifth edition for DD i know a lot of people participated in it but mine was a little bit more unique even to the point of the fact that i got to go to wizards of the coast uh which was pretty cool being able to go there um i have you know like i said i I got the courage to to finally write a novel, and I've put out a couple now. And like you said, it, one of those is up for an award. So those are the things I've gained. Uh, besides, um, definitely a lot of self esteem. Yeah, that's something that you build up because I was a short, skinny redhead. You know, I got picked on a lot you know that's something that happened um then i found a group of friends and that built on and self esteem built and i wasn't a lonely short skinny little redhead and then i you know i i got my growth spurt i got taller and stuff like that but yeah through that i've yeah i've had a lot of friendships now what have i lost because of it friendships there have been <laughs> friendships that have been lost because of game sessions um there are some people that get so upset and irate that things happen at the game table and that does dissolve, can break friendships. Um, there have been lost opportunities because, like with anything, you always have an opportunity cost. There have been sometimes I've chosen to go game instead of doing something else. Um, so what, what could have happened with those things? Who knows? Um, but in the end, I feel like I made the better choice. Who knows? Maybe I could be like Bill Gates now, and I just never knew it. But I doubt it. Uh, <laughs> or maybe I, my my writing career would have started earlier. But I really doubt that too.
2: Yeah. Okay. So I know that generally we try to keep things a little bit lighter, but I'm I'm feeling really strongly about sharing something that uh, is is personal, and I haven't talked a lot about to a lot of people. Um, I. Uh, my, my journey with gaming is, is particularly um, unique to me. I'm not saying that there's not anybody else who has experiences better, or different, worse, right? Or the same as mine. But uh, for me, it was very important and it has been a very important part of my life. Um, uh, obviously, you know, a decade ago when I very first started playing, I walked into a game store because I I just needed friends. (laughs) Like I was living on my own and uh, things were tight. It was really hard and I I needed friends. And as I started to sit down and learn to play, I really liked it. And people started to push me more into running games instead of playing in them. And and that's where I've stayed for the majority of my time. Um, But, uh, you know, five, almost five years ago now, um, this idea of starting a game store came in my head. And I went in and, and I worked my butt off to try to make it happen. We got it off the ground and it looked like everything was going really well. And in fact it was, it was going so well that I had to bring in additional investors and, and try to move the needle that way. But, um, during or as a, as a result of that path, things started to go in a different direction than what I hoped. And as time went on, um, I was becoming excluded more and more and more. And the business was failing in, uh, sometimes unique ways. We were losing community members, and um, it was a very difficult thing. And and I wasn't able to do very much to solve that problem, unfortunately. Um, And ultimately, it came to a point where I had to leave that business. Um, And as I did, uh, I fell into an extremely deep depression because I had left my career as a strategy analyst to go and start this game store, And I set out with great intentions of of doing good things and helping people and trying to build a good community. And it looked like it was going that direction. And then I lost it and um, ultimately uh, ended up um, attempting suicide. And I ended up in the hospital. And um, as I was going through that process... Uh, I'd been designing an RPG for a while and I hit a point where I was starting to feel a little bit better and so my wife brought in some dice and as I sat around the table and and played with people um, I I got to see the way that it changed the faces of of some of the other people that were with me and the way that it evolved their ability to heal and I started to heal too Um, and in a very direct and real way gaming saved my life because in the midst of what I considered abject failure, I was able to move the needle for somebody else. And because of that, I was ultimately able to leave and, and come back and continue my life in many new and interesting ways. And, uh, many projects that could not have happened otherwise and things that are still forthcoming that, um, I would not have had. But even more importantly than that, the second piece that Krebs was asking about is what have we lost? And for me, I lost something that I desperately needed to lose, which was a fear of failure. Because as I spent time playing games with people and coming to terms with who I was, I made a very important realization, which is that there are very few holes from which we cannot dig ourselves. Um, there are very few situations that are truly no win, no recovery, that it's impossible to get out and move forward. And that doesn't mean that I I don't feel afraid or that in the moment that I'm confronted with a new opportunity that I've never done before, I don't have some trepidation about how I'm going to get there, but I'm able to go back to That feeling of sitting around a table with friends rolling dice where the whole world seems to be crashing down on the party and sometimes your character dies and then you close the book and you get up and you talk about how great the game was. And as I've been able to move forward into my other projects, I've been able to take some of that courage with me, that dice courage that I couldn't have had any other way to be able to say that, you know, no matter how bad it gets, I always have a choice. And I always have the opportunity to to try something new. And so, you know, I, I choose my risks. I, I don't just jump blindly into everything. But if it's something that I care about, I have left behind that inhibition that says I can't do it or that I only succeed if everything goes perfectly because the reality is stories don't go that way. And when we find those things for which we have passion, it is important that we pursue them as far as we can. And that if as far as we can is five feet, that's great. And if as far as we can is getting nominated for a Whitney Award, that's great too. And if you become a New York New York Times bestselling author or a movie star or you know whatever else down the road, it's only because we are able to redefine what failure and success mean in our own heads and be willing to take that first step.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I'm gonna say something right now. Uh, you know, thank you for opening up and being vulnerable. That that took a lot of
1: courage. Um,
0: we definitely went a lot deeper than I was thinking we <laughs> would probably than we've ever done in the history of Dungeon Crawlers. But
1: um, no, but not I, to a, not to a fault
0: though. No, no, you know, and it, and it reminds me of the line in Last Jedi. Yoda shows up, looks at Luke, and says, "Failure is our greatest teacher." Yeah. And I have to agree. And that's something that we do learn in, in gaming. When we fail, it's not the end. We can pick up the dice and roll again. Um, even if our character dies. we Make a new character, roll the dice again. We still get to move on. Um, and it teaches us that, that failure isn't the end. I mean, that's something that's really hard. I think a lot of us have kind of learned that, you know, you can't fail. If you fail, it's it's over. You've lost the game really that's not the case you just lost that game pick the dice up and look for another way um you know that's one of the the things that uh it was isaac newton right uh light bulb
1: uh thomas edison thomas, thomas edison. edison excuse me
0: and <laughs> I'm, I'm completely way off base no thomas edison that's right you know he always said you know when he failed there was just one more way learn not to make a light bulb You know, at one point, his entire factory burnt down. And he's like, oh, no, they cleaned it up. We're just going to start over. You know, we learned something from this. And I think that's what we need to take, uh, is that we learn something. And when we game, we learn that it's okay if we fail, because it's just a game, and we can move forward. You know, when we fail in life, it's okay. We learn something, we move forward. Um, And I think it's a lot easier when we learn that through gaming, because it's not... That harsh of a blow, we realized that we could still move forward.
2: Yeah, so I guess kind of the the natural segue from there, the kind of the the final thought that probably makes sense to follow up is like, why do you game now, and what would you encourage somebody who wants to try a role playing game for the first time to do?
0: Why do I game now? Mm -hmm. Fun. I it's fun. I enjoy getting together with other people, and. Just setting aside a few hours to play. Like this Saturday, I'm going to be playing Shadows of Brimstone with a bunch of friends. Um, and a couple of their, those friends are bringing their, their sons along. So it's going to be kind of this cool dad and son thing. And it's going to be fun because, you know, the kids, we don't, they're the wild cards. You know, I can pretty much determine how the dads are going to play. My, my friends are going to play, but the kids are wild cards. I never know what they're going to do. And so that's going to make it so much fun because. You know, when I'm playing with them, it's pretty much, OK, we're going into the dungeon or the mine. We're doing X, Y, Z. We're achieving this. I, I know how they're going to interact. But, you know, in shadows, some of your characters can be throwing dynamite and dynamite bounces. It doesn't just land and stop. It bounces in this game. I can see one of these kids like, oh, man, I don't want to fight this. I'm throwing my stick of dynamite. And next thing I know, it's at my feet. <laughs> you know, there's just stuff like that, and, and but it's fun because you can see the excitement in their face, and it's unpredictable. I don't know the outcome, and that's what I really love. You know, when I don't know how the game session's gonna end up, it's so much more fun. Um, so that's what I get out of it: a, an opportunity to spend some time with friends, have fun, and just kind of set aside my worries and the world for a little bit of time before I have to check back into reality and go back to work
1: or, or life. Excellent. And, and what would you do? uh, What advice would you give to a gamer or to some, I'm sorry. What advice would you give to someone who would like to experiment uh, with different games? What would you tell them to do for the first time?
0: You know, the best thing to do is go to a game store. Almost every game store has, they will sit down and play a game with you. I know for D and D they have Encounter nights, so you can sit down and play an encounter. Um, There are, if you look at their board, there are probably several different nights where they're playing a different game system, whether it's Star Wars, whether it's Pathfinder, whether it's Palladium, whether it's uh, oh the Hero System. I mean, there's just so many different game systems out there, and you could you could show up and sit down and say, hey, can I play for a round? And they'll let you. Um, I know even at like Fan X that happens uh, here in salt lake in september there is a whole game room that you can sign up and play games and that's an opportunity too just to sit down and try it out you don't have to invest anything you don't have to have the books they have all that for you you just sit down and play and i think that's the best advice i can give just sit down and play and then if you enjoy it then invest your money because at that point there is no cost other than your time and more than likely you're gonna sit back and go wow this is actually pretty fun. And, you know, then 25, 26, 28 years later, you're still playing and you have a giant closet that's full of games. And <laughs> you want to go to Gen Con again this year. Yeah. Absolutely. Probably spend six, $700 more on games. Uh, yeah.
2: Don't steer them away, Dan.
0: <laughs> hey, I know people that spend more money than I do. It's true
2: yeah what about you
1: for, Krebs for me the reason that I game um, hearkening back to earlier in the show when I was talking about a, an exploration of self um, I uh, it's so funny listening to to both of your personal stories uh, Daniel with your experience with bullying and, and Alton your moving story about just uh, becoming self destructive um, I'm i someone who can relate to both of those things too and I don't think that's just the three of us i think that's the lot of us right um and so for me gaming is about exploring not just myself but experiencing a narrative i never could in the real world or i never would maybe that's an even better expression it's, it's narrative i never would experience in the real world because in the real world i have too much to lose i will become more pragmatic i will be strategic and uh i'm going to protect certain things. But games allow me to lose some of those inhibitions and explore aspects of my person and explore adventures and experiences I otherwise could never have. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, and uh, with with gaming, gaming is such a profound medium that I think people underestimate. Uh, again, from my from my career as a computer science instructor, um, it's become evident to me, and I've and I've been teaching a lot of people about this, where uh, game development as a software engineer, it, it, when you get out into software development as a career, when you put that you're a game developer on your resume, it's actually kind of a, a stigmatic word. It, it it's it's a dirty word. Um, if you want people to take you seriously as a software developer, you don't say you're a game developer, and that is a harsh and sad reality, um, and it's also unfair. Because game developers, by um, up, by necessity, have to learn how to optimize, how to work through the code more efficiently, how to find ways around traps in the language. And they are some of the most proficient, profound developers in the world. And outside of the development, on the other side of that fence, um, more and more is it becoming a multi-billion dollar industry to build simulations of otherwise high risk endeavors, for example, building a simulation of how to operate a high rise crane when you want to train someone to become a high rise crane operator in, in in days of yore, like the 80s, um, you the way that you became a high rise crane operator is that you started off as an apprentice and you never touched the controls and you read books. And you went through certification processes, and you never touched the controls. And then you started operating smaller heavy machinery, but you never touched the high-rise controls. And this pattern went on for years and years until you got to a certain level where they trusted you to work with someone next to you to build something kind of tall. And then you would go through this process till you got proficient enough to do the real thing. Now we have the ability to simulate with real-world physics, but without real-world danger. How to operate such advanced and dangerous machinery um, in ways that we never could before. And that comes as a product of the video game industry becoming something more, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, beneficial to society rather than just a pastime. Rather than just a way to vent one's anxiety or anger, it is now a medium by which one can acquire extremely difficult and even dangerous skills. And so for me, gaming is, again, about that exploration and having experiences I otherwise could never have. And what would I suggest to someone who's looking to enter the the world of gaming and, and maybe even wants to explore what it means for them to be a gamer? Um, I love Daniel's suggestion about going into a game store, but I can also see how sometimes that can be a little daunting if you don't quite know what to look at or where to start, and you, it could be sensory overload. My suggestion uh, would be I want you to consider your three favorite books or your three favorite movies or your three favorite TV shows, and chances are they have a common thread. And and I especially love the, the idea of think of your three favorite books if you can. Then I want you to go into a game store walk up to one of the salespeople, especially if they're older, and say, my three favorite books are this, this, and that. What game do you think I should start with? And if I were you, I would recommend starting first with a low-commitment card game, a very fast game, maybe card or dice, move into a board game, move into a tabletop RPG, in that order, uh, based on your level of trepidation (laughs) or curiosity. Um, Because I believe, again, having sold movies, For many years once upon a time i believe that if you can walk in and you can say these are the things that pique my soul's interest there is a game for everything and that sounds like hyperbole but i can i can prove to you it's true try this experiment and see what happens
2: yeah and it very much stays true to or rings true to me as well Uh, you know the thing that's really wonderful one of the many, many many wonderful things to gaming about me is that it provides a common vocabulary for people to be able to communicate with each other in a medium where it's non-threatening, non-dangerous, and it allows us to connect in real and meaningful ways. And uh, just like, you know, you wouldn't reprimand a two-year-old for babbling a little bit as they're trying to speak their first word, and you wouldn't reprimand your mother for trying a new recipe and getting it wrong the first time, don't reprimand yourself for not knowing everything up front. It's a muscle that you're flexing for the first time and it's okay to go in not knowing what you're talking about and to walk away the first time feeling overwhelmed. That's okay because as you exercise, as you find that time to connect with other people, you're going to be surrounded by people who took that journey too. And they are going to help you learn those words, learn that recipe, ride the bike, do what it takes to get you to the next step. And as you find those games that you love, and I believe that you will, I also know that those words will come. And so that means by association, there's nothing to fear. All you're doing is starting a mini game in the hopes of learning that game that you want to end up in.
1: Amen to that. Yeah.
0: Well, look at that. We've already ran out of time. It's that time. Uh, so we have to wrap up. Uh, I Again, I really feel like we've covered the gamut with, with gaming. It is definitely a positive. There are some negatives, but I think the negatives definitely out, far outweigh the positives.
1: Um, Other way right. around. Uh, the positives outweigh the Sorry. negatives. You're there right. You
0: Man. <laughs>
1: wow. See? I'm just three-second sound bites. Positive,
0: no, no. We'll we'll leave that. I love leaving mistakes like that. Yes, the positives <laughs> far outweigh the negatives. Um, man, yes, it's been a long, long day. But it, the reason for though is generally the negatives are very small. They're inconsequential, and if if you look at them, uh, they're not big issues. Um, because in the end, you're having fun. You're with a group of people. You're no longer isolated. There are still some some games out there you can be isolated, but you're still kind of communicating. You're ch- chatting, you're talking, whatever. But in the long run, you're having fun, you're exploring versions of yourself that you would never be able to otherwise. Um, you, know, you could be an assassin. You could be a guy running down the street punching Nazis. These are things you can never do really in life. Except for actors. Actors can kinda get to do that. Um, but... Yeah, Krebs definitely knows that one. Uh, you know, sea monsters coming out of the water. Uh, They're, that, that or should I say, space pirates. Um, you know, but that's that's the cool thing is, in that moment, in that place, you can be whatever you want. You can do things that you normally can't in life, and it slowly gets you out of negative places. It gets you, uh, you can escape. Uh, it gives you that opportunity. gives you an opportunity to meet other people, be, you know, further your relationships with other people, but ultimately it helps you um, one way or another. There's something cathartic, something amazing about the sound of a dice rolling across the table, whether you, it's a success or a failure. You're still learning something about yourself because you either learned uh, what you're going to do when you fail and how do you overcome that challenge or how you do when you succeed. So I, I would just challenge anyone that's can, out there that's listening that's considering gaming. Try it; it's definitely worth it. Uh, you know, ignore those, those stigmas, those stereotypes, because let's face it, they're the, maybe they're, they were real at one point, but you know, just like blondes, they're not dumb. There is no such thing as dumb blondes. Let's let's face that; that's just a stereotype. Gamers are the same way. There's no; it's just a stereotype everyone really is a gamer, whether you play video games, card games or whatever, like El- Elton said, you are a gamer. Uh, and that, and that's the great thing. Uh, by destroying that stigma, that stereotype, there's no reason you can't go out and play a game. So, whoa. Well, so with that said, again, uh, we'll be talking about Mandalorian soon. Uh, maybe we can finally get Scott on the show so he can give you his input on Rise of Skywalker. Uh, but there's definitely going to be some really cool, more fun stuff coming along as we think of new topics to talk about. If there's anything you want us to talk about, you know, shoot us in, an email at info at dungeoncrawlersradio.com. And we will, uh, if we like it, we'll bring it on and talk about it on the show. So with that said, uh, we'll catch you next time.
1: And remember, Internet, until next time, be epic, don't suck. Remember, the Force will be with you, always.